This is the illustrious Johnny Stewart. When I'm not eating my liver pate and reading the Wall Street Journal, do you know what I listen to? I listen to Wrestling Nostalgia with Dave Dynasty because he is the number one wrestling podcast in the country. This is Wrestling Nostalgia with Dave Dynasty. Greetings, wrestling fans, and welcome to Wrestling Nostalgia. I am your host, Dave Dynasty. We have a great episode for you today. We have the illustrious Johnny Stewart on. This is a spectacular interview. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Uh, Johnny tells all kinds of stories. So entertaining. Such a great talker. Uh, We're going to have Johnny on again in the future because, man, like I said, we only hit the tip of the iceberg here with him. And he's got so many more stories to tell. So uh, I can't wait for you to hear that. Uh, I don't have a lot to talk about. There's not a lot of current wrestling or anything I really want to speak of. The only thing I really want to talk about is uh, this is kind of our seventh anniversary episode for Wrestling Nostalgia. Uh, our very first episode uh, was released on October 3rd, 2016. Of course, at that time, we were called the Dave Dynasty Show. Uh, a few years later, we rebranded to Wrestling Nostalgia to kind of be a little more encompassing, uh, a little more uh, telling in our, our name of what we were doing here. Uh, so, yeah, off and on, seven years Uh Fairly consistent for the most part. We did have some 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 breaks there, right? Some time downtime in there or whatever else. But still, uh, seven years of doing this podcast, over 200 episodes. I feel like that's a pretty good accomplishment. I'm pretty proud of that. I'm pretty excited about uh, the library of, of content we have out there, the, the, the uh, episodes that are out there available for people. And uh, I'm, I'm super excited about the future, right? We have a lot of great stuff, still a lot of great people to talk to, a lot of great stories to tell. So there's still a lot more uh, miles left in the old tank. I still love to talk wrestling. Uh, I feel like I'm a little more focused now in my approach. We've uh, revamped, we've rebooted, we're going bi-weekly now. It allows me to really kind of raise the bar a little bit, right? I don't feel like I'm having to scramble to find guests on a weekly basis. I can I can be a little more selective. I don't mean any offense to anybody. That's not what I mean by that. But it means that being bi-weekly, it gives me a little more prep time, a little more time to book guests. And I, I feel like it's a positive move for the podcast and for me as a host. So I'm super excited about the future. This is, I mean, seven years, but that's, man, this is only the beginning, right? We've got a long, long time left in this. I don't feel like there's any, any reason that I will be stopped doing this anytime soon. So hang in there. This is a, a long haul for us. Uh, so again, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the seven years and for being listeners and the continued growth that we've had pretty consistently this whole time. Uh, so uh, I appreciate that. Uh, make sure you follow us on social media. We're out there on all those platforms and subscribe to us wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Uh, that That's the best way to support us. So let's take a quick break because man, this is a, this is a fun, long story filled up interview and I can't wait for it to get to it. So let's take a quick break and when we come back again, we will have that interview with the illustrious Johnny Stewart. So hang in there. If you like horror movies, be sure to check out Dave Dynasty and Ike Isaacs on the Listen to Their Screams Horror Podcast. It is available on all podcast platforms and on social media at Listen to Screams. That is Listen, the number two in Screams. Welcome back to Wrestling Nostalgia. I'm now joined by our guest, the illustrious Johnny Stewart. John, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on your show. Um, uh, I've been wanting to talk about uh, 
Indiana Wrestling, Dick the Bruiser, WWE, because he was the second promotion I worked for, for for like 30 years. And so thank you for giving me this platform. And, I, and I'm just delighted to talk to have your uh, your viewers and listeners uh, uh, listen to to my stories, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're glad to have you on. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of yours, John. Uh, I know a lot of people give a lot of crap to that late AWA stuff, mid that late yeah. 80s. Man, I'm a fan. I love that that old ESPN stuff from yeah. the late eighties. Uh, you know, of course, right. you know I, that was during prime time when I was watching everything I could. But right. I, I actually thought it was entertaining. It, it has its faults. We'll discuss that in a little bit. We'll, I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, but let's let's start. I always like to start by asking people, how did you become a fan of pro wrestling? You know, I was the kid of I was the kid of the seventies. Uh, I grew up in the seventies in Chicago, and my my high school and grade school friends, we all laugh with each other that we're all batshit crazy because we saw, you know, what we watched on TV in the seventies, you know, Harry Carey doing the Cubs game drunk, <laughs> evil Knievel, Dick, the bruiser wrestling, Bozo circus, uh, Garfield goose, which was this guy in this military dictator, you know, <laughs> jacket, captain kangaroo, a lot of dictator uniforms yeah. growing up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, just, there were some bizarre shows and, and of course, uh, so I would became a very visual person. And I, as a, as a man, you know, males are very visual also. And, um, I, I liked wrestling. I was like, I liked things that were physical. I was a great football player. So I gravitated towards wrestling and was the only thing on, on Sunday morning. I, I know people can't even fathom that, but when I grew up in the seventies, there was four channels, you know, a UHF channel and, and, uh, Two, two, five, seven, and nine, five channels. And so on Sunday morning before church, we'd watch uh, W uh, Bruiser Wrestling because it was before Vern put his TV on in Chicago. And my dad was an automobile dealer in Chicago. I think this is one of the funniest. How did you get into wrestling stories on the planet? <laughs> and I tell, I tell this to as many people as I can. So my dad is an automobile dealer in Chicago and I'm sure everyone can remember in Chicago, Bruiser's show was sponsored by Ben's Auto Sales. Yeah, yeah. And so Ben, his name was Bernie Tarowitz, just a great guy, uh, retired in Florida, very wealthy. And he gave my father tickets to the International Amphitheater, 1979. Now, folks, you got to, like, go back in time with me. Use your imagination. You know, it's it's kind of at the decline of the WWA in bruiser wrestling it's before Vern really took Vern Gagne took over you know full full bore the city of, of promoting the city of Chicago so <laughs> Ben's auto sales tells my father go there a little early there's a hospitality suite where you can go up and meet all the wrestlers and my mom is this you know kind of classy you know, woman from the far northwest side of Chicago, she, her mind starts like just going all places thinking there's going to be a cocktail party with the wrestlers. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. I am not. This is the God's <laughs> honest truth that there's going to be a cocktail party with the wrestlers in the second level of the international amphitheater. Can you just see Moose Cholak with like a, with like a Manhattan and Spike Huber and yeah. Steve Regal, you know, with like, you know, with like martinis. I, I mean, Oh my God. So we go there. It's in the summer. 
And my mother and folks, please let me finish this story. I know it's a little long. My mother and sister are in sailor outfits. (laughs) White, white pants with blue sailor tops. My father's got his, you know, his automobile dealer attire, you know, his Zanzibar pants and his, (laughs) his shirt. And then my mom's got me probably dressed as some kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, rich kid, which we were, you know, I was, I'm just saying, you know, like a dorky Sunday school outfit. And we walk into the amphitheater and it's like the star Wars bar. And my mom's face was like, Holy shit. What have we walked into in the record player, you know, metaphorically stops as we walk to the front row, Scott Romer is the photographer. Remember well, he did 20 years ago. Remembered this event when the dorky family came to the amphitheater and the first match, it's the the guy with the, who had the lightning bolt on the side of his leg. He was, he was a you know a, a journeyman. They start chanting blood, blood, and they're swearing MF this, MF that. My mother looks at my father. She goes, Jack, turn around and tell them to stop swearing. We have children. My dad's like, I'm not turning around anywhere. So during intermission, my father says, let me go to the hospitality suite to see what's going on. He goes up there, and this is my dad's retelling of the story. The Andy Frayn lets, lets him up. Bob Luce is passed out on a vinyl couch. There is a, a, a pile of chicken, finished chicken bones on this on this Formica table with a with a fuzzy TV with like rabbit ear antennas. And Bob Luce looks up all droggy, and, and he and he goes, oh, "Bob, I'm Jack Stewart." Uh, Bernie Terrell, which is a, a friend, he gave me tickets. Uh, can we meet the wrestlers? He's like, oh, Jack, Jack, yeah, the party ended. They all went back to the locker room. And my dad closed the door and went back to his seat. And he was like, oh, it, we, I mean, we could not get out of there fast enough, except for <laughs> me. Except for me, I just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And I had curly blonde hair. So everyone in the audience was like, that must be Spike Huber's kid. That must be Spike <laughs> Huber's kid. And it's funny because Bobby Eaton, when I wrestled uh, Bobby, the Midnight Express with uh, with Jim Cornette, and I wrestled them for WCW the first night, Bobby uh, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane were like, Bobby kept, Bobby Eaton kept going to Stan Lane. Hey, Bobby, uh, uh, Stan, we got Spike here. We got little Spike Jr. here. So, uh yeah, people said oh, I'm the no. love. I'm the love child of of, uh, of Billy Joe Travis and uh, Spike Huber. So, uh. so that was my you know my foray into wrestling. And then when Vern Gagne's show uh, trumped Bruisers, it was before Bruisers. It was a little bit more professional. And then of course Hulk Hogan was on. And I tell everybody uh, without even blinking an eye, Hulk, you know Hulk Hogan and seeing him live when I was in high school totally transformed my life the hearing the crowd that oiled up body tan body and the blonde hair and all these other 60s 70s era wrestlers like Bachwinkle, Vashon and and Bruiser and you know and then you see this new era guy come out and the crowd was you know going crazy and and, and just so you know I and, and then and then as I got in like senior year of high school I wanted to be Ric Flair which I eventually did not not to not not to the to the point of Ric Flair's Larry Zabisco would always call me the five dollar Ric Flair. Um, <laughs> but so that's so that's how I got that's how I got into pro wrestling. And um, I just love that one on one competition. 
And I and, and folks back in '86, wrestling was like the mafia. You didn't yeah. know. You didn't. You couldn't just go to a wrestling school. And if there was a wrestling school, it wasn't advertised like usually like it is like for the past 30 years. So my dad heard that there was a rest. You could get into wrestling in Memphis. That's all I knew. So I just told my high school football coach, I don't want to go. I don't want to take a scholarship. I don't care if it's from UCLA. You know, of course, I didn't get one from UCLA, but <laughs> I want to go to Memphis State. And he's like, what? I said, I want to go to Memphis State or Ole Miss, which was, you know, 40 minutes from Memphis. So he called the coach and he's like, look, he doesn't have a high enough grade point average. He needs a 2.0. <laughs> And, and so I became a, um, an invited walk-on preferred walk-on at Memphis state. And, um, three weeks into spring practice, uh, a fraternity brother meets the legendary buddy Wayne Memphis yeah. legend in a grocery store. He's like, look, we have this crazy guy at our frat. He's playing football at Memphis state. He came down there to be a pro wrestler and buddy <laughs> Wayne must've been like taken back enough to say, well, Jesus, that kid sounds serious. Give him my number. And I get, uh, I got Buddy's number. Um, you know, we met. I started setting up the ring, which I'm always proud to say that I, you know, I literally paid my dues. I set up the ring in the Memphis Territory um, <clears throat> while I was in college and while I was training. And uh, and then I finally got my first match. I won. And my second match, I had the character of the Beach Boys. And we wrestled for Jarrett the whole summer. So that's how I got my start. Yeah, yeah, you teamed with the Beach Boys. You teamed with Van Van Horn. That's the name. Van not, Van Horn, my buddy. Yeah, 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 a lot of people don't know. Tell us about Van Van. <laughs> Van is, a, you know, a Jerry. Um, you know, I, I obviously had an aptitude, an aptitude, an aptitude for wrestling because I did it on all my friends for ten years, which worked because I was a pretty good startup wrestler. Like I, I just, I got it so easily just because I practiced it so much on my buddies in grade school and high school and. So Jerry Lawler, um, and folks, I'm not lying to you. And Jim Cornette says, well, they never fucking repeated this mistake again. <laughs> that They took this Yankee from Chicago in Memphis, <laughs> gave me a win, my first match, my second match. Um, Bill Dundee doesn't show up. They need a tag team partner for Jerry Lawler in the main event at a spot show against Dutch Mantel and Rip Rogers. I wrestle in the opening, and at my second night in the business, I am in a tag team main event with Jerry Lawler. Dutch and in Rip Rogers in wow. my third night in the business, Jerry Lawler says, look, I, 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 I saw these jams in a magazine. I, 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 you know, I think a, a tag team called the beach boys coming out to, you know, round, round, get around, I get around <laughs> would be a great tag team. I think I got this kid from the outlaw territory named Van Van Horn. He's from Memphis. He works for uh, plow, which owned Coppertone. And I think you guys would, would work well together. So he put us together and um, we wore those jam colorful shorts down <laughs> shorts, to our yeah. knees yeah. and just had a summer. And it was funny. I thought we stopped getting booked because Jerry hated us. And we stopped getting booked in, in August because that's when um, uh, Jerry Jarrett took back the book. I don't know yeah, if people right. know they, they yeah, shared it every taking. six months. Yeah. So I actually, we actually went a month into the Jerry, uh, to the Jerry Jarrett booking and, um, and then there and, and that was the that was the five six months where it was the last sellout. Dundee and Buddy Landell, um, you know, sold out with Dutch and Lawler. I I was there still training, and then it started to go downhill. So they didn't want you know thirty seven tag teams. So I'm assuming I never even got the really the straight answer. We stopped getting booked by uh, by uh, by Jerry. But man, uh, Van and I were over. You know, we brought women 
you know, young ladies to, to the arena, um, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and we were humble, you know, we'd let anyone beat the crap out of us. And, and, uh, you know, I learned, I learned a tremendous lot from those three months being on the road in the summer with, uh, with Jarrett and Lawler. Yeah. So when you stop, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So, so that's how I met Van and I'm still friends with them. And, uh, I, I think Van should have went way further in the, uh, in, in the wrestling industry, you know, uh, something I want to talk about with myself and some guys with WWA, you know, it was the start of the cosmetic portion yeah. of pro wrestling right. and Van, just like myself, to some degree, didn't have that cosmetic, you know, look, that steroid cosmetic look. I think that hurt him. But a worker, a talker, I mean, you, you can't find any better than Van. Never hurt anybody. You know, just he's just a great hand. Just great guy. Great travel partner. Uh, love them to this day. Yeah. So when you stopped getting booked in Memphis, is that when you started, when you went to Indianapolis? Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, Buddy Colt. And man, I want to talk about Buddy Colt. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, there's things I disagree with him and agree with him, but he's mentioned, oh, the territories were great. Folks, I, I hope you can hear my sincerity come through this telephone line. The territory days sucked donkey's butt. <laughs> I mean, if you were in Bill Watts, yes, you were in fairly nice arenas once in a while. You were making 700-mile trips from Tulsa to New Orleans. You know, um, uh, the Memphis Territory, you're putting 600 miles a week in the car. Um, yeah, when I worked for, for Lawler, was great. My first paycheck, I know people won't believe this, my first paycheck in 86 with Lawler was $925. Now, that's, you know, it's about three times the money, so... You're talking about a freshman in college making today's money around $2,700. That's a lot of money. Yeah. You know, so, but in the, the territory days, you're putting on so much wear and tear on your car, on your body, and travel. Most of the time, it's crappy motels. You stay six months, you go to another place. God forbid if you were married with kids, the territory days sucked, you know, except yeah. for the except of the top few people. Yes, yes, being a young guy, it was fun. But I had ADD. I could not sit in the car for seven, eight hours. And when I even went to Bill uh, to Watts in February, Van and I went for like four days with Watts. I mean, it was, it was, it was. I could tell Dave. It was, it was like I can't, I can't do this. I can't. I guess I have to quit wrestling because yeah, I can't lo- take these car rides. Yeah, that's a long trip, isn't it? Yeah, and I remember um, when. I started to get a little heat with with like fire and flame and, and Joe LaDuke. Imagine this. Like Buddy Landell said, you, you pissed off a 300 pounder. We got problems because <laughs> Buddy was like my older brother in Memphis. But Dutch Mantel sits down. He goes, a kid, you're, somebody's going to kill you around here. You just you're just too happy go lucky. And, you know, we're all trying to feed our families. So, yes. I was kind of thrown out of the Memphis territory because I smiled and I ha- and I was happy go lucky, but that's that's I'm just ribbing the guys, but it, but but that is the true story. So Dutch, I want to talk about the territories. Dutch is sitting on the bench. Buddy Landell is combing his hair with that big 1980s comb behind <laughs> Dutch, standing up, and Dutch goes, "I'm going to send you to the Bill Watts territory." And he starts writing Bill Watts's number down. I look up and Buddy Landell is going behind. Uh, uh, a Dutch mental with the don't do it, you know, shaking his head <laughs> back and forth, you know, knowing that I can't, couldn't stand the car rides in the Memphis territory. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Louisiana, you know? Yeah. So, um, so I never called Bill Watts. Um, I tried to get in 
with Bill Dundee. And this is another thing that sucked about wrestling. And again, I'm not an old guy complaining. I'm just saying like, this is one of the unfortunate things about the unorganization of wrestling back in the early eighties. Now I was a pretty good hand, even though I had six months in the business, I looked good. I was 20 years, 19 years old. I should have went to Florida, continental Portland, you know, um, as, as, as like a first card guy, but you, there was no booking office, Dave. Yeah. There, there was like no central person to say, Oh, hi. Oh, Johnny Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. They said you're a pretty good hand. You know what? We'll send you down to Florida for six months or, and that really bothers me to this day that I didn't immediately just say, let me go to continental because I didn't even know what continental was. I didn't yeah. know Florida had wrestling and I know people don't believe wrestlers when we say, we're so wrapped up in our lives and on the road. We don't know what else is going on in the wrestling world, but it is true folks. You just, you don't know. I did not know there was a Florida territory, a con a continental wrestling. I didn't, you know, um, I didn't think I was good enough to go to Texas. I didn't know there was Portland and I didn't know there was Kansas city and so on and so forth that I easily would have been a first first match guy. So I, yeah. I, I literally, other than doing a week with Bill Watts in February, I literally, sat at home my mom and dad are like well this business is crazy you're not even getting booked anywhere and my mom's like are you sure you're good i'm like mom i can work <laughs> trust me so my dad um bernie again ben's auto sales comes back into the picture and he's like look let me give your number give ben uh, give bob loose your, your your son's phone number bob loose called me a day later he goes look uh you know, I heard some good things about you, but you know, it's your dad talking you up <laughs> and I'm going to, and it sounds like I'm about to pat myself on the back, but I just, it was a really nice moment with me and Bruiser. So please folks, just forgive me for sounding like, you know, Ric Flair. So Bob Lou says, I want you to go down. I've got you booked at TV in Indianapolis, but you're only going to do interviews. You'll meet all the guys down there. So my mom and dad give me their Cadillac to drive. I've got a London fog you know, overcoat. I've got a, 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 a suit on with the tie, dress <laughs> shoes. And, and my, my point is I'm not patting myself on the back. When I walked into the studio, I'll never forget this bruisers at a, at a, at a table and he's got the book out and he's doing the books and the golden lion is talking to him. And he looks up and he goes, uh, yeah, are you, are you with the TV station? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I said, uh, I'm John Stewart. Bob Luce sent me and Dick, puts the pencil down. He looks at me, he goes, Bob Luce sent you. I said, is there something wrong? He goes, fuck. No, there's nothing wrong. Bob Luce sends me guys. They look like they pulled them out of the, off the gutter in Madison Avenue. He goes, he goes, God damn it. See, it's nice to, nice to finally meet a professional. I'm 19 years old. So I was like, take you, take your jacket off. You start cutting promos. So me and Calypso Jim, Start yeah. cutting promos with that skinny, and I forgive me, folks. I, I I've got a bad brain. The skinny guy with he looks he looked like a country western singer, Bruiser's announcer in Indianapolis. He had the greased hair. Skinny guy, about five foot six. Great guy. So so me and Calypso Jim start doing interviews. The Golden Lion is there, and the Golden Lion has a three piece suit on with a gold lion chain around <laughs> his neck with this golden hair. I swear to God, folks, can I can I tell you something? I know he was on your show, Dave. The Golden Lion in 1987 was the bomb. That guy, yeah. that guy would have just showed up at a WWF event backstage. Somebody would have gave that son of a bitch a dark match. And, <laughs> you know, 
was he the greatest hand in the world? No, but the freaking gimmick with the tail and the, <laughs> and the, and the gauntlet uh, gloves and that blonde hair. And Tim was like six, six, one and a half, you know, 300 pounds in, in, in 1987. Um, uh, you, you can't say a bad word to me about, about golden lion, but he was there too. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty, because you know, folks, the one thing that, that I was a little leery about is, you know, bruisers, TV show and pr- promotion, you know, it was like it, it wasn't as polished and professional yep. as probably it could have been. It was almost yep. like, you know, where you went to die or you went to start in the wrestling business. Yep. And um, but it was so, so, so let me flip that over, Dave. When I walked in, I walked into this beautiful television studio, which I, I still don't know where it was in Indianapolis. You know, this it was brand new inside and Bruiser had a nice clothes on the golden lions all in a three piece suit. I'm like, well, maybe, you know, maybe things took a turn for the better here. Uh And, um, yeah. So I started wrestling for WWA in 19 in February of 1987. Yeah. So, so who all were you wrestling at that time? Who all, who all did you wrestle (laughs) at that time? WWA? Yeah. So, um, so I did a couple of TV tapings and I almost got fired right away. So they send me to Toledo and I go to Toledo with the Russian brew. Can you imagine uh, that six hour car ride? You know, I was called stoop about 37 times. Beach boy, beach boy. There's so much I got to teach you. You stoop you. But was, I he lo- doing it in, was he doing it in a Russian accent? No, no, no. And when I heard his interview okay. with you in the Russian accent, I'm like, oh, dear God, this is an abortion. But anyways, but I love George Petro- George Petrovsky. Yeah, the yeah. best. Yeah, so yeah. we so we go to. We go to TV in Toledo, and I, I wish some I could find I could find this match. It was the it was kind it was in a studio, and folks, I I I don't I don't remember, but it had the Miller Light logo. It was not in that ballroom. It was like in a studio setting, yeah. and Scott Steiner was there. Yep. Um, the 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 Polynesian Wild Man, me, yep. Calypso, Russian Brood, couple of other guys. So, uh, Doctor Jerry, uh, um, not Doctor Jerry Graham, whoever was like. Junior. Yeah. Yeah. Junior. Right. Not the yeah. Head. But whoever I, and the great Wojo was there yep. and I'm 19, but like, I remember Lalo saying, you've got to fucking stand up for yourself when you know, so an injustice is happening. You, you can't let people walk all over you. So here is this 19 year old guy. I've got the spandex beach boy shorts, meaning like I looked like a modern wrestler. I was tan. I had a pretty decent body, young guy. You're just inserting, getting inserted in WWA. And the producer's like, well, okay, we want the wild Polynesian to go over on you in eight minutes. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And and I'm like, and Wojo's standing there and, and whoever was producing, it wasn't Jerry Graham. I said, I will do a job for anybody, but I'm not going to go come here, come in here when thing and, and have it not make sense. You're bringing me in. This is the first time on TV for WWA or Toledo Wrestling, and you're going to job me out to somebody? Does that even make any sense? And even the Wild Polynesian was like, you could tell he was like, you know, this guy, you know, this guy is, he is making sense. I mean, and I remember the Wild Polynesian looking at the agent going, you know, let's do a count out or something. And and he wasn't ribbing me because he, man, we, we gave each other the matches and stuff like that. And, um, So I was really proud that I stuck up for myself. So when the summer came, the first show of the summer season for Bruiser, uh, Dr. Jerry Graham Jr. and Wojo and somebody else pulled me in a motel room before a spot show 
they're like, uh, so uh, what was the problem at TV? Why were you giving people a problem? And I remember telling Dr. Jerry Graham Jr., especially, I said, you're bringing me in. It's the first time I'm in. You got all of these guys that are 50, 60 years old. <laughs> you, you got this young kid, me, regardless of whether you think I'm good or not, or I got a good body or I don't. Why would you job me the first day? And Jerry Graham's like, well, uh, you know, you, 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 well, uh, you know, something to consider, and you know, <laughs> but they weren't they were impressed that I that I that I stuck to my gun. So that I'm, I told that story because a just to let you, your your listeners hear sometimes the insanity of pro wrestling <laughs> and, and and why these promoters went out of business. Vince McMahon put no one out of business. Ninety yep. percent of the promoters put themselves out of business. Just if you want my opinion. So. That summer, the whole summer, I wrestled the Golden Lion. And I will tell a story, and I'm going to give all the credit to, the, to, to Tim, or Dick the Bruiser Jr., the Golden Lion. Him and I have our first match at St. Rita High School outdoors. Um, and this is my dad telling me the narrative. There's about 1,500 people, and I've got the Beach Boy gimmick with the music. And Tim, you know, the Golden Lion comes out with the spandex and and my dad's like, you guys looked like you were worked for the WWF. He goes, John, everybody was like, oh, my God. You know, because you saw some of these, some of Bruiser's talent was, you know, they had, sh- I'm sorry. I'm, I, you, I told you, Dave, I would be honest and shit. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to. They came out in shitty old attire that was worn out. They looked worn out. Here comes the Golden Lion, 300 pounds, six foot two. You know, Johnny Stewart tan with the spandex outfit on and the music. And I remember my dad telling me, he goes, John, you guys look like you should have been in the WWF. And Tim and I just tore the house down. I mean, and I give the Golden Lion the credit because all I did was Ricky Steamboat sell to him the whole match. And um, and that must have triggered something because the entire summer, other than a few matches with the Wild Polynesian, man, I wrestled the golden lion. And it was, it was great. You know, and it, it, it bonded, uh, 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 bruiser junior and I to this day, you know, he's one of my, one of my very best friends in wrestling. I used him for 10 years with Dale Gagne's new AWA wrestling superstars. I mean, I just, I, I just love him. And I want to tell a story about him too, yeah. you know, if further down, which I think people won't can't believe, but yeah, so it was a great summer. It was just, a, it was just a great summer. Um, working for Bruiser. I've got a cup. I've got a funny story. We were in Danville, Illinois, and Rosemont, Illinois gets flooded. I can't fly out. There's one. I you literally could not drive your car past like O'Hare Airport on the expressway. The whole area was flooded. But oh, the airport had like five flights out. One was Danville. So I actually took a plane. A Bruiser wrestler took a plane to Danville. Uh, got a cab to the fairgrounds. Um, and Bruiser went crazy when I said, well, you gotta, you gotta help me pay for the plane ticket, blah, blah, blah. So he gives me like, so he gives me like $35. Okay. And I'm like, Dick, I'm like, come on, $35. He goes, oh, okay. He pulls out a roll of nickels and puts it in front of me and says, I'm Dave, Dave, I'm not lying to you. He goes, here, here, that shit up with trans. I said, trans, the, the plane ticket was $180, whatever. So he had somebody from the fairgrounds. Uh, um, let me stay in a Winnebago that was on the fairgrounds that we used to, to, to change in. And then I got a taxi or something back to the airport the next day. But can I tell you the final part of that story? About four days later, I get uh, the <laughs> he calls, 
the phone rings at my parents' house because I'm moving to my mom and dad. And Johnny, it's Dick. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, I want to ask you a question, and I want the honest truth. I'm like, shoot. He goes, did you? <laughs> Jesus, I ran for Illinois governor. I should never even tell this story. Is it true <laughs> you made out with a, a girl and promised to take her to the prom or to homecoming? To homecoming? <laughs> I'm like, well, I mean, I did kiss a young lady, but she was like 18. I'm not worried about her age. That was the fair promoter's daughter. And, and <laughs> they're not mad. They want you to take her to homecoming. <laughs> I'm like, Dick, I'm not taking her to homecoming. He's like, look, this will blow my fair, my fair show the next. He goes, I'll give you my Mercedes. I said, I know one thing. You are not giving me your Mercedes. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm sorry. I didn't rape her. I didn't have sex with her. I just made out with her. Yeah, I, I'm Johnny Stewart. I'm 19 years old. I promised the world. And, oh, my God. But it was fun. You know, the one thing I didn't like uh, a couple of times, I, I got they gave me Shotgun Willie. And, folks, I'm not going to be gross here, but yeah. kind of follow the bouncing ball. He always brought his girlfriend with him, and they had this conversion van. And they would, you know, get busy an hour before the matches, and then he would wrestle me. He stick his fingers in my mouth. And I'm not being disgusting, wow. but that is that is freaking disgusting. I <laughs> we were in I can't remember the town. It was in Illinois. We went back to the dressing room. And folks, I, the true story, I I was never confrontational with anyone. I've never been in a fight in pro wrestling. I've really never been in an argument with anybody. I avoided conflict. I went back to that locker room and I said, if you ever stick your effing fingers in my mouth after screwing around with your skanky whore girlfriend, I swear to God, <laughs> I'll take that fire extinguisher and I'll smash it over your head. And you could see Moose Cholak had his hands folded and he was like shaking his head back and forth with that <laughs> like disgusted look. Like, did he actually do that to this? Because Moose loved me. <laughs> did he actually do that to the beach? He used to call me the beach. What? And and that's like one of the only times I have ever, ever, ever had a confrontation in the locker room, but it was so freaking disgusting. And uh, I never wrestled him after that. Thank God. But uh, yeah. yeah, so, but it was, but it was great. It was, it was a great experience to see Moose Cholak on TV for 10 years and to finally be with him and have a camaraderie with him. The same thing with Dick and um, you know, hanging around with the golden lion and the Russian brood, it was great. And, and a young Scott Steiner, who was, yeah. you know, who was just starting, start, starting up. And people are like, Scott Steiner started with Dick the Bruiser. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. he did. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the thing about WWA, I grew up watching it. Right, they had a lot of great talent, but they weren't pushing the right guys in my eyes. And that's the knock on on Bruiser and the WWA is when they had some talent, they had some young guys, but yet they were still no 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 disrespect meant. But they were still pushing the Moose Cholocks, the 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 Fred Currys, the uh, the Bobo Brazils, the Dick the Bruisers. When these guys were in their fifties and sixties, and and they were putting them over. And, and, and do you think that was kind of the the nail in the coffin for the WWE? Oh, oh with, without a doubt. I mean, Jerry Jarrett tells the story that Dick the Bruiser. Or, yep. Yep. You could tell I'm still a fan. I call him by his full name. But you, but Bruiser <laughs> went to Jared and said, "Look, I need help. Yep. My territory is dying on a vine." And Jared took over the book. And, and Bruiser called him, you know, a month later and said, I'm not on any, you know, main events. Or, and Jared said, well, this is why your territory's dying. 
Yep. You're putting yourself on every main event. Nobody wants to see you anymore. And they got into a fight and that was it. And yep. Jerry Jarrett was 100% correct. And, you know, and, 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 the, and Bruiser did so many things wrong and he did so many things right. I mean, I, I, folks, you need to go find this. There was an, an, this was never, I don't believe ever shown in Chicago, but I think probably Toledo and Indy. There was a, uh, first of all, Bruiser's intro was not bad. But it was Dick the Bruiser and somebody else in like two chairs with a beautiful like uh, blow up of the amphitheater behind them. Like you see on like CBS Sports and they were like introducing the show. I'm, and I just saw this about six months ago. I'm like, damn, that's like Vince McMahon type mentality, you know. And um, yeah, what you know, you know, and, and Bobo Brazil, how many times can you see him? Moose Cholak and. You know, then at this time, Moose is wearing a T-shirt and baggy jeans. He doesn't yep. have the Joe LaDuke watchman's cap on with the, with the plaid jacket. And, the and the, you know what I mean? It's like everybody gave up, so so to speak. And the great – and he pushed guys. And there were guys, I'm sorry, but I, I'm being honest. I'm being honest as a fan. The great Wojo, he didn't have any charisma. He was going to sell you five, five tickets. Great amateur wrestler and a nice guy. But that's it. He, I, I just, you know, he, he never, he never, he never drew money. And you had Spike Huber, who was terrible on his interviews, but a great body. I guess he had enough charisma. And, you know, what I would have done is, 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 you know, Paul Christie and Dr. Jerry Grant, though, I, you know, those were heat seeking missiles. Um, yeah. I still, to this day, Dave, I, Dave, my right hand to God, I'll be in the car. And Paul Christie still pisses me off from being a kid where he would never let anyone touch him. That he'd have a 10-minute yeah. match, and he locked up one time and did the, the arms in front of him. And Now, wait a minute. I've been a pro wrestler on and off for 30 years, okay? I'm 56 years old, and a guy from the 70s is still pissing me off like, oh, I wish somebody could have. That is heat. You know, that is yep. magic. And so, and, and not, um, and here's something. Um, to go to your point, Dave, that I something I disagree with Bobby Col uh, Bobby Colt. The territories were great, and we don't have them, so you can't learn. Well, if the territories was this great breeding ground, why didn't Dick the Bruiser have three or four fresh young guys coming in every other month? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's ludicrous. Yeah. You know, this 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 big talent pool is a myth. I am telling your listeners the the the, the mythology. The territories did not produce this massive talent pool. Yes, they produced uh, great wrestlers and taught everyone how to work. But if you think there was this huge bevy of young guys, these Steve Regals in 1979, ready to go, there wasn't. You know, Vern Gagne would have a camp every other like four years. Um, so and very few people were trained. So for the territories, and, and I hope people appreciate I'm being honest here, for the territories to produce this large amount, I'm not saying it didn't, large amount of young talent um, to be inserted into these smaller promotions. Folks, it's a myth. It didn't happen. And you could see it displayed in, in Bruiser's wrestling promotion. You know, he, he had no young talent coming in um, that was that that, you know, that could um, help rejuvenate the promotion. Um, Steve Regal, you know, you know, was was about it. And and, and then letting guys on the show in positions in the card that weren't ready and weren't good workers. 
You know, you can see that as a fan, you know when somebody is not a good worker. And then you put Steve Regal in there in 1979 or 80, and he's flying around like, you know, like, uh, you know, like Tully Blanchard. You go, oh, shit, these guys, these other guys are terrible. You know, again, I'm speaking as a 13-year-old kid in the 70s. You know, what I witnessed, yeah. and I think my perception was right on the money. So, again, and then, and then you know, Vern Gagne's studio show, in my opinion, sucked. And then, mm-hmm. but, but Bruiser had this, you know, the Armory show every Sunday. So it mm-hmm. did give it a little, you know, genesis qual, like, hey, this is a bigger promotion. And But then again, the main event, Bruiser, Crusher, Moose, you know, uh, yeah. uh, 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 Bobo, Bobo, Bruiser, Bobo, you know, come on. Then Bruiser Brody came. And that picked up the t- that picked up. I remember when we were watching it, but um, it just you just couldn't carry. The, 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 some of the interviews were okay. Most of them sucked. It was just I, I just think if somebody would have taken time to massage Bruiser's promotion, that it it, it could have lasted a hell of a lot longer. Yeah, yeah I agree. Had. Yeah, I agree. Uh, not long after that, I think you went on. To, to help uh, Sam DeSero form Windy City Pro Wrestling. Did you meet Sam in the WWA when he was doing the the Max thing, the World Warriors? No, we were at a sh- I was doing a show in Wheaton. I wrestled okay. the mighty the mighty Igor, uh-huh. um, and uh, Sam came up to me, and 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 um, I'm gonna give Sam a compliment here. You know, again, I'm I'm around all these old guys that are just worn and tattered, folks. I'm just shooting. I'm not being mean. I'm a I'm a nice guy. I'm just you know, I'm sure people say that about me. Yeah, Johnny Stewart's <laughs> worn and tattered. But, but all these guys that are worn and tattered, all of a sudden Sam DeCiro comes, there was like a building that we changed in, and Sam was outside the building. You know, he had these cowboy boots on, these jeans, this nice shirt and a gold watch, and, you know, the Danny Terrio here. And he's like, hey, I'm Sam DeCiro. And I looked at him, I said, you're not the guy that was Sammy Darrow for Vern. He's like, yeah. And he starts yeah. laughing. I said, bro. I said, bro, when I was in high school and you came out with your brand new wrestling boots, your red pads, your red tights, Sam had a great body. He had the Magnum TA mustache. I said, you, you, you look like a wrestler. I was saying this to Sam. So I was immediately enamored with him because he was, you know, he was about six years older than me. And he's like, look, you know, all I've heard all summer, go see the beach boy, go see the beach boy. I, I, I love what I see. Will you come work with me? I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm starting up Windy City Wrestling. So it got back to Bruiser like a week later. And he's like, you'll wrestle one time. Mark my words. I said, Dick, I'm an independent contractor. You're paying me $40 a night. (laughs) Why can't I go work for other people? He goes, because he's working in my territory, Chicago. I'm like, he's not renting the Pavilion or the Allstate, the Rosemont Horizon. He goes, you'll work one time. So Sam had a show in Waseda, Illinois, and like I worked one time. <laughs> but five, about four months later, three or four months later, Sam said, look, I broke off. I forget who he was co-promoting with. He said, I broke off. I'm going to start my own thing. He got TV. And I think it was a great move because it allowed me to stay in Chicago and not have to travel a lot. I got to stay in uh, college. Um, Sam, you know, we worked at the amphitheater like three or four times. I teamed, with the, teamed up with Sonny Rogers as the Beach Boy. Um, you know, we had spot shows all over Illinois, a couple in Iowa. Um, it was a great group. I, I, I really, 
you know, and I, I, I worked, I practiced every week, once a week, I got in the ring and sparred and it really helped hone my skills. I, I wanted to be Ric Flair. So I turned against Sonny after like two years and did the Ric Flair gimmick. And, and uh, Jim Barnett was at a show from WCW and hired me when they hired uh, Tom Zink, Pillman and Johnny Ace. Um, and so, you know, my career was, was going forward, you know, people, promoters were going to the matches and I was getting the tap on the shoulder. So, um, thank God for WCW because if I would have stayed with Bruiser, I mean, where would that have went? I would, it would have been 1988. I would have been, you know, wore out, pissed off. And instead (laughs) I was on, cause I was on local TV in Chicago doing like, you know, television shows and radio interviews. I was like the the spokesman for WCW because I spoke well, you know, I mean, it was only logical. So I would be the guy to go to radio stations, news stations, newspaper interviews. And I really got like, you know, some, some, some attention. My parents were happy because they saw that my, my career was progressing and, and so on and so forth. And then, yeah, I got the, I got the, the tap from WCW because of Sam DeSero, WCW. And that's, you know, that was, but my time with Sam was great. It pissed off Bruiser. That was the last time I ever talked to him before he died. Um, so I kind of regretted that. Um, but I, I try to plead my case. Like I'm an independent contractor. Why, why can't yep. I, you know, wrestle for other guys? I just, even DeSero, DeSero, um, had the bruiser mentality. I, I, uh, I got tapped to go to Singapore, uh, Indonesia and Malaysia in 88. And that pissed off Sam. I'm like, you're not even paying me. What do you care? <laughs> what, what is it? Any of your business, you know, and that started our, our, feud which is no longer like i'm like what is it any of your business that i'm going to make you know a thousand dollars a week you know for pyramid home videos in the far east and we don't even have shows i mean i mean just you know but it was that cigar box mafia mentality that i hated i still hate to this day um and uh and and uh, which it's not a lot of it in wrestling thank god but um but yeah, I, I, it's, uh, it, it was, I've had, I had a great, great time with Bruiser and, and Windy City, you know, with, in Indiana and Illinois. Yeah. And you mentioned, you mentioned Barnett going to World Championship Wrestling. Yeah. Uh, tell me that story. I, I've always oh. heard you got a contract and something, something messed that up. Here. So it, it, what, what is it with that story? <laughs> it's 10 Ways to Destroy Your Wrestling Career by Johnny Stewart. It'll be on YouTube one day. <laughs> so now, folks, I, I, I think, that you can hear that I've been brutally honest up until this point, And I will continue to do so because there isn't anybody that effed up a deal more uh, in 20 years than I did. So Jim Barnett calls me and says, um, Johnny, I saw you in Chicago and I really <laughs> liked you. And I think we can do something with you. I said, Jim, Mr. Barnett, you know, I have the Ric Flair character. I don't care. There can always be two people. Look at Buddy Landell and Buddy Rogers was copied by Ric Flair. And I'm like, okay. So uh, Paulie dangerously calls me like three days later. He's like, hey, there's buzz that they're bringing you in. I'm like, yes, it's great. And uh, so Paulie was one of my inside guys. Now Eddie Gilbert is one of the bookers on the committee. Folks heard about for about three months back in uh, 89, they had a booking committee. I wrestled with Eddie in Windy City. Again, something I compliment Sam DeSiro for. Uh, uh, you know, bringing Eddie Gilbert in, Paulie Dangerously in. We wrestled the um, 
uh, 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 Buddy Rose and uh, Doug Summers, Sonny Rogers mm-hmm. and I like six times. How much do you think we learned from those two guys? You know, yeah. they're like you got your PhD in tag team wrestling. So Eddie Gilbert is one of the bookers and he loved me. And I idolized Eddie cause he dressed nice and you know, the snakeskin cowboy boots, the faded acid wash jeans. He had the Halliburton, the Louis Vuitton little purse, the Rolex. I mean, I idolized Eddie Gilbert and, and he knew that. So he's one of the bookers. I'm like, this is great. So Barnett calls me and I'm just going to tell you and your, your listeners what happened. He's like, well, they're giving out three year contracts but we would like to give you a four-year contract because you're so young and we think there's a long-term potential. I'm like, that's great. And he's like, oh, uh, and he, he was, shouldn't have, but he's like, you know, Tom Zink, because he's got experience, is going to get $200,000. we have got this kid from the Cincinnati Bengals, Brian Pillman. Um, we're going to give you, we're going to match you with what he's getting at one fifty a year. I'm like, done. You know, I'm like, okay, great. Now, Johnny, I want you to go to the UIC Pavilion. We have a show there in 10 days. You know, you'll meet all the boys. Make sure you have contact with Eddie Gilbert. Now, folks, follow the bouncing ball here. Make sure you touch base with Eddie Gilbert. Meet all the boys. I'm sure you know a couple of them already. And uh, I'll be in contact. I show up at the UIC Pavilion with a couple of people from Windy City. Dave, are you listening to me? I uh-huh. have a cream, cream, C-R-E-A-M, cream-colored suit on, like I'm a plantation owner in 1860, brown Porsche Carrera glasses, geeked bleach blonde hair, and a suit and a tie-on. And I kayfabe Ric Flair when he comes out into the hallway. Oh. Now, Rick will tell everybody this was his most <laughs> insecure. He was seeing a psychiatrist at the time. True story. Yep. Now, yep. what a effing asshole i was and i folks i was so respectful of old you know elder you know veterans in the wrestling business i really was i always kept my mouth shut this was so out of character but i was so intimidated by rick and he was just standing there with his hands on his hips i'll never forget he had gray slacks a white shirt blue and uh blue red and white tie and he looked at mike um i I forget mike's last name he was a photographer in milwaukee i love the guy and he just kind of shook his head like, what a fucking goof. And <laughs> and according to Jim Cornette, Eddie Gilbert, and Paulie Dangerously, I also claim I'm the only guy Paul Dangerously has never lied to. Um, <laughs> they all told me the same story. When my name came up in the booking committee, Flair said, if you got to hire a ripoff Ric Flair, you don't fucking need me, and I'm done. And they all went, whoa, 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 sit down, sit down. You know, it's, <laughs> it's John Stewart, forget it. And Eddie Gilbert was like, what do you mean? Forget it. This kid's a great worker. We have no young heel. Think about 1989 and WCW. They had yep. no young heel. Tim Horner, uh, Brad Armstrong. Uh, I mean, right? Pillman's. They, they had no uh, uh, um, uh, Dustin Rhodes. They had no young heel. I think the only heel that was kind of young was um, uh, was. Um, Oh, God. Uh, Kevin Nash, who was doing the bizarre, uh, I think it was doing yeah, Vinny Vegas at the time. Yeah, so, Vegas, But yeah. he wasn't a heel heel. He was a monster heel. So they had yep. no, like, Paul Christie, 23-year-old Paul Christie, so to speak. So Eddie Gilbert, according to Paul Heyman, really went to bed and said, so he doesn't have the Ric Flair gimmick. The kid's 21 years old. We have no young heels. And Flair said, you bring him in, I'm done. 
Now, folks, I am not saying Ric Flair thought I was Ric Flair material. I wasn't. Okay. I'm just saying that he was 40. He was going through a midlife crisis. He was seeing a shrink. And I was a total asshole the way I, the way I, I handled it. And, and Barnett called me and said, uh, we got to pull your deal. You know, Rick does not want you to, to, to work with us. I said, well, I just dropped out of college. That's 10 grand a year. Who's paying that? And then it was, you know, the hot potato. And God forbid you should cause problems and sue somebody in 1986. My parents wanted to sue Ted Turner. And rightfully so, you know, for telling me to drop out and then taking my contract back. But I didn't want it to hurt my future. So we we just ate the tuition, which is still wrong to this day. And uh, a week after that happened, I get a call from uh, uh, Vern Gagne uh, office. And uh, they're like, we heard what happened. We'd love to bring you in. And and I started with Vern um, in the, in the spring of 1989. Thank God. I mean, it wasn't 150000 a year. But at least it was ESPN. It was TV. I was trying, I was keeping myself relevant. And I I told everybody that would listen to me. My three years with Vern and Greg were the the greatest three years of my life in wrestling. Um, Opposed to what a lot of people say about working for them. I had a blast. It was a, it was just a great time. Harmonious locker room. Eric Bischoff talks about it and he's Mm -hmm. totally accurate how everyone got along. There was never, you know, this is like late, this is like late 88 to 91. Everyone got along. There was never a fight except with Mike Enos and Vern Gagne, which I'd love to talk about that for a second uh, <laughs> later on. But everyone got along, great moods. I got great talent, great matches, good arenas. It was a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of this era. Um, I think it gets uh, unnecessarily knocked, and I don't know why, uh, but here you are. Right in the in the mid eight ladies eighties, you're on ESPN. I mean, you're wrestling guys like Sergeant Slaughter, Paul Diamond, the the Coquina Maximus, the, yeah. yeah, the future Yoko, all these guys, and that's just a, a few of them. You you were one of their top heels. Yeah. Um, I mean, this exposure is just unreal, right? I mean, how many there wasn't any very many guys that had you know were on ESPN. I mean, this is a national cable yeah. network. Yeah, you're uh, what right. What was that like getting that exposure? It, it was, um, you know, here you are bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. Here you are, bam, on ESPN. Yeah, it was great because they let me be Ric Flair, you know, my dream. And no one bothered me. Dave, I mean, no one bothered me. You know, your name was on a list, you know, at spot shows or TV. You know, uh, I knew all the Milwaukee guys who were enhancement talent. You know, they brought in the hangmen that were with Windy City, my buddies. I dressed with with Zabisco and, and Adnan in a little triangle corner at the heel exit to the arena. Um, I'm on TV every Monday. People are calling my parents. I, I I can't believe this. I'm sitting in Florida and your son is on ESPN. <laughs> so it yeah. was nice. And and um, WCW would bring me back. I filled in for Shane Douglas for 10 days. I filled in for anywhere in the area of Chicago or or I was hired to work for WCW anywhere in the Chicago area, like the pavilion. And it was nice because like Tim Warner and, and Dustin and, um, and D and, um, uh, um, oh, he died. Um, I could, uh, 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 Brad Armstrong, they would watch yeah. me on TV because the boys were still in the hotel rooms at three o'clock on a Monday mm-hmm. before a spot show or something. So I, I remember Tim Warner, like, Oh dude, your, your matches are great. And Brett and Brett Armstrong said, yeah, but you're, 
promo, stop screaming, brother. It's, it's, you know, <laughs> and, he, and, and, but Brad Armstrong was like, John, you know, uh, you know, it's like, like shit. I almost like if they would pay me that money, I would want to be that place rather than, you know, the WCW TV, which had no viewership. And, yeah. um, and when I would, you know, I had such balls and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying like that when I wrestled like Brad Armstrong or Tim Warner in the second, first or second match, I would treat it like it was the match after the intermission. I'm yelling at the crowd. People in Chicago remember me from Windy City. You know what I mean? There were people that yeah. knew me. So they would egg me on to make it seem like I was a, I was an overheal. And I remember I came back to the dressing room. And again, I'm just talking about, I'm not bragging. I'm telling people in any application in life, hey, grab the brass ring. Go for it. Who cares if you get in trouble? And I remember going back in the locker room and Tim Warner had his head on. I'm like, what did I do? He goes, what did you do? He goes, that was the best goddamn match I've had in two years. <laughs> He's like, I, because I put him over like a million dollars and I got him over. I kept saying, is this your hero? Is this your hero? And the fucking pavilion was going crazy. You know, like it was the match after the intermission. And, um, and I just, and I, I, I bring that up because, um, Vern and Greg gave me this like foundation of like, Hey, you know, you're on, you're on ESPN. And, and, and another funny thing is when you look back, just like you said, who were the heels? Um, uh, they phased out kind of coming to TV every, uh, every three weeks, Colonel De Beers. They only mm -hmm. brought in the Russian brood a couple of times. There was three heel tag teams. Who was the heel single wrestler? Think about it. Yep. It was John Stewart. And, 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 and I remember Larry and Adnan and Adnan going to me, you know, behind Larry, there's nobody else heel except this man, Johnny Stewart. You know, he's telling Zabisco. And Larry's there smoking his cigarette. He goes, ah, oh, yes, Johnny Stewart, the $5 Ric Flair. <laughs> <laughs> and can I tell a funny story? Yeah. I had this, I had that blue and yellow robe right. that had, that had glued on plastic balls, <laughs> little plastic balls <laughs> made by a lady who owned the air host bar that all the wrestlers went to in Chicago. They would fall off 50 at a time. <laughs> and uh, Dave, Dave, I am shooting here. Here is a, <laughs> it's TV, the Rochester Mayo Civic Center. It's me, Zabisco, and Adenon tucked away in this little locker room right by the, the door to the arena. And all you heard for three hours during TV was, son of a bitch, mother, God, illustrious, this effing robe. Because all the boys would be stepping on their way to the shower on these glass balls. So I am high, and I am hiding. And she, and, um, and one time, uh, Wayne Bloom got yeah. really pissed off. And, you know, Wayne could have kicked the shit out of anybody at that time. And yeah. uh, that's that, something not a lot of people know about Wayne Bloom. And and he starts cutting a promo on me in the locker room. And Greg's going, will you calm the hell down? He goes, oh, this is ridiculous. This goddamn cheap robe. Look at this. And I guess he had indentations in his foot. Adnan's eyes were open like tea, like the size of tea, tea saucers. And Larry's, Larry's smoking his cigarette, and he goes, oh, Johnny Stewart. He goes, isn't it, isn't it nice that your robe gets more heat than you? Oh. <laughs> it was great. Can I yeah. tell one last funny story yeah, about the TV tape? Okay. Well, you know, I don't know how much time we have or whatever. but No, no, whatever so, you need. So, so WCW brings in me 
on on their road. They bring in the destruction crew. Yeah. Vern and Greg start kind of sniffing the wind like I think they're going to get snatched by by Turner. And really, especially uh, Wayne and and, and uh, Mike. Yeah. So and I they find out and scheduled to go back to play college football for North Park University. So yeah. now Vern and Greg and Bob Ryan, who talks like this, remember Bob Ryan with the big glasses? Yeah. yeah. They're hatching a plan to not let Johnny Stewart get the belt and to take the belt from the destruction crew. Folks, I, 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 I my right hand to God. So Wayne Bloom gets wind that they're going to put um, DJ Peterson and Paul um, and the trooper over the destruction crew at TV. So Wayne Bloom no shows. Folks, this story has never been told anywhere because nobody interviews me. <laughs> but I have never told this story ever. Okay? I just want to let everyone. So now Vern, Greg, and Nick Bachwinkle are like uh Stuart, uh Enos. So they go into we go into the shower area. It's I it's it's me, uh Mike Enos is to my right, facing Gre- uh Vern. Greg and Nick Bachwinkle and Vern goes, we heard you're going to WCW where you're not going to go there with the belts. And Mike Enos was a mother after Vern kind of like, you know, like almost, well, not almost very disrespectful. He goes, if we were going, we would tell you we're not a bunch of jabronis and we're <laughs> not going. And we know you want to take the effing belts from us. And, and, and Vern goes, this is my goddamn promotion. Now everyone is silent in the locker room. This is my goddamn promotion, and I'll do what I want. And you're putting the you're you're not going over tonight. And and Mike goes not without my partner. The fuck I am. So Vern snatches the the belt from Mike Enos as you know Kokima slaughter. Everyone's listening. He snatches the belt from Mike Enos. Mike has got the other end. Vern goes into like a crouch, and they're like the Walenda brothers in the circus. Like, like doing a, a vaudeville act. Nick Bockwinkle's eyes were like, I don't believe what I'm witnessing. And Greg is yelling, give him the belt, Mike. God damn it, give him the belt, Mike. Mike, give him the goddamn belt. And Mike snatches it from Vern. And Vern goes, this is ridiculous. I've never, I've never been so insulted in my life. Mike goes, I'll put the somebody over when my partner is here. Not Johnny Stewart. And, and Vern goes, well, you got to go have a match. And I, and I go, yeah, it's Johnny Stewart. I'm the jobber to the stars. And Greg goes, oh, what the fuck is it your problem? You're going to play college football anyway. And I go to Greg, I'm, you know, because I'm now full of piss and vinegar because my buddy Mike Enos just had a match with Vern Gagne. And I said, what the F does it matter to you? What? I, what the, the, the booking you give me once every three weeks, that's really going to matter? If I'm going to play back to play college football for three months, and Vern looks at me, he goes, "It's the you know, you talk with a little list. It's the fact you disrespected us, which he is he is right. I mean, to some degree, he goes, it's the fact you disrespected us. That's the problem. We could have worked around anything." And I said, "Oh, so you're firing me? No, we're not firing you, but it's disrespectful. You're just going to go back and play college football at any point you want." So Mike goes, well, what the F is going to go on tonight? And so they gave us uh, Mike. Hey, folks, go watch it. It's on YouTube. It's Enos and Stewart versus uh, Bram and Berg. Mike Mike Bram with a B and Berg. And Mike Enos and I tear 
the great these Berg and Bram from Kansas City, great guys. We tear these mofos up in two minutes. You can see me walk out. My robe isn't even tied. I'm scratching the side of my head, kind of giving an indication to any promoter. I'm free. I'm ready to leave. You know, I'm done. <laughs> and um, so, so, but before we went out and wrestled, Mike uh, Enos has is in a different locker area. I go back to Larry. <laughs> I go back and sit down with Larry Zabisco and Adnan. And Larry, again, he's like the peanut gallery. He goes, let's see, Johnny Stewart and Mike Enos against Vern, Greg, and Nick Bonquico. Larry looks at me and goes, Johnny Stewart, that's the best booking you've ever had. <laughs> you know, but it was in the shower. I mean, uh, yeah. I, that freaking Larry, Zab- Larry Zabisco, folks, is probably one of the funniest guys on the planet Earth. Yeah. And, uh, but when he said, he goes, oh, that was your, that was your best booking ever. And he, to be honest with you, he was kind of right. But, um, but going back <laughs> to like just the overall thing with Vern, in AWA, you know, I remember, again, I'm not putting myself over. I am complimenting Vern and Greg. Um, you know, I take I take a, a managerial psychology exam in the professor's office at like 8 in the morning. I get driven to O'Hare. I fly into Rochester, Minnesota. I go to the – I stay at the, uh, the, the Radisson. I go to Walgreens to get athletic tape. The shuttle bus passes the Mayo Civic Arena. There's me and Slaughter. And um, Zabisco and Nikita in the double main event on like the Jumbotron or a banner or whatever it was. I'm like, oh, this is, I was marking out. The ESPN truck is in back of the arena. I go to Walgreens and I'm putting Slaughter over. I go to Walgreens and the day I'm wrestling Sergeant Slaughter for the ESPN main event, you could buy like a kid's birthday party packet of his likeness. He's doing the Diet Coke commercial. And, um, (laughs) And again, I'm not putting myself over. I'm like, it, I, I just, I remember marking out so much that day, like how fortunate I was, no matter whatever happens in my wrestling career, to have like a night like this where you're still in college, you're wrestling one of the top 10 stars ever in wrestling, in my opinion, yep. certainly yep. in the past 30 years, without yep. a doubt. A guy that would be on the main event for WrestleMania seven months later, literally. Yep. Um, yep. He's on... You know, his picture's on party favors at Walgreens. He's on Diet Coke commercials every, you know, 30 minutes. Um, and I owe all that to Greg and Vern. They never yelled at me. They never hollered at me. My check's cleared. They always gave me money when I was on the road and I needed it. Like if I was staying in Minneapolis, uh, I, I just tell everybody. It was just the, the greatest two and a half years of my life as a wrestler. Yeah. And during this time, you, you were kind of a darling of the wrestling magazines. It seemed like that you were just always in there, right? Always mentioned, always a picture. Totally. There was always always this talk of Johnny Stewart, right? The future of wrestling, yeah. so and so, et cetera, et cetera. What, what do you think of that? And, and of course, you know, I'm, I know Vern wasn't always uh, the most accepting of, of, of evolution in the future right. and, and passing on. And, and I get that to a degree, right? You gotta you gotta go with who you can trust. But right. what was it like? Um, all this. I mean, you were getting a lot of exposure in the magazines, and here you're yeah. on ESPN. Yeah, uh, and I mean, what was it like? Again, I I hope I come across that anybody hears this complete interview that I put, I give credit to other people because that is my personality and that's what I truly believe. And, and I say this to back up your, or to, to make a foundation for my answer to your question is that number one, it was so nice that everyone on the announcing team was on the same page and put 
me over like a million dollars. Meaning, you know, even if you didn't like me as an announcer, meaning you knew I was a heel, but this Johnny Stewart, he's climbing the ladder for the light heavyweight championship. You know, Lee Marshall putting over Pacific Palisades that I rub shoulders with everyone in Hollywood. I had fans tell me, so what's it like to be at Hollywood parties and this and that? <laughs> I, and, and that was Lee Marshall, you know, Greg Gagne putting over that. My father, I had a trust fund and, a, and Johnny Stewart pulled up in his Porsche. And, and I, I try and use that as an example that I hope other people that are in wrestling get what I'm talking about is when the whole announcing team is on the same page. And sometimes, folks, that doesn't always happen. And you've had a million announcers tell, you know, say, you know, this announcer didn't put over this wrestler and he didn't and and, and it showed whether they liked me or not, Ralph Strangis, Greg Gagne, Lee Marshall, um, even Eric Bischoff, who personally did not like me back then, um, um, you know, put me over, Rich Kid, Hollywood Hills, and then um, we started a thing where Rob Lowe stole my girlfriend, okay? <laughs> and he, and my Porsche's in his driveway, and Lee Marshall's like, this is crazy, folks, and all we're hearing is that Rob Lowe has stolen Johnny Stewart's girlfriend, and Johnny Stewart's Porsche is in Rob Lowe's driveway. Here's my point. Here's my point. The AWA is on the downswing. The WWF is Hollywood. But we were, but they were trying to at least anyone watching the ESPN show to say, Jesus, one of their wrestlers is like a Hollywood guy. What do you mean? Yeah. Oh, Rob Lowe stole his girlfriend. And he talks about driving up and down the coast of California and he's from California and, you know, leaving Lee Marshall, giving little digs, Johnny Stewart from Pacific Palisades. That's just up the coast from Beverly Hills, Nick Bockwinkel, where you are. And that brings up Nick Bockwinkel, who every time somebody put a mic in front of his face said, you know, John Stewart's the future of wrestling. And the biggest rub, I think what happened with, with the magazines, Dave, is Bill Apter did a, did an interview with, with Nick at that time. And he said, well, who do you think is the future of wrestling? And Nick tells Bill Apter on TV, you know, I really think Johnny Stewart has got a long future in this business. And Bill Apter just, you know, that was it. You know, then it was just yeah. off, off to the, 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 uh, the races. And um, another thing that Bill Apter told me in, in um, 90 was that um, I, I, I don't know how many people worked at Pro Wrestling Illustrated, but. But and Bill After is telling me this story at a at a spot show. He's like, in one week, <laughs> and again, I'm not putting myself over. I'm just telling you why the magazines gravitated. Bill After goes, Johnny. In one week, we would get a phone call. Here's the results from the Mid South Coliseum on Monday. Here's the results from the Louisville Gardens on Tuesday. Here's the results from Syracuse WCW on Wednesday. Johnny Stewart um, put over. And then on Thursday in, in, in Scranton, Pennsylvania for WCW and Friday for, um, Buddy Roberts, uh, blah, blah, blah promotion in Chicago, Johnny Stewart and Saturday, Johnny Stewart uh, got a win over DJ Peterson and Bill after looked at like some, the people in his office and said, wait a minute. How the, what, what, what is Johnny Stewart got a Learjet? How could he do five different towns with four different promotions in one week? And he put a little blurb in the in the magazine, you know, busiest wrestler of the month or like this is why it's so hard to do, you know, lists and stuff. So I, I, I must have impressed Bill Apter enough for to keep my name 
you know, current and relevant um, in the magazine. So that was, uh, but I was just, I was just trying to take any booking as I could because Vern wasn't full time at that point. So, um, but yeah, like in May of 90, I wrestled every day, didn't yeah. have a day off. And that caught Bill Apter's eye and, you know, he, he, he did a blurb about it. Yeah. It, you know, it, the AWA kind of, you know, kind of folded you. You kind of stuck around to 2012, but I want to I want to ask you, and I know you probably talked about this at length, but I yeah some of my listeners may not know in 2006 the the the, the story that you, I mean despite your wrestling career you might be most known for you were hired to appear for a charity in Utah a school <laughs> and and what they had actually wanted was to book John Stewart the comedian correct and that is correct how, how did this happen what 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 happened there I, I had a website at the time JohnAllenStewart.com you know a former pro wrestler, businessman. And I get an email from a, a teacher in Utah. She's like, we'd like to hire you to host our gala event. Now I had run for United States Congress. I got a ton of national publicity because of Jesse Ventura and Bob Backlin was running for Congress in Connecticut. So we, we had a, a, a not a lot of people know this. I mean, there aren't popes that have articles in the, about them in the New York times. Bob Backlin and I had an article about our campaigns in the Sunday edition of the New York Times Magazine. I mean, that is huge. And we were on Hannity and Combs, O'Reilly Factor, the Los Angeles Times. I mean, Bob and I were everywhere. So, you know, I, I had some cachet, so to speak, nationally. So I'm like, um, okay, they must want me to, it's a charter school, which means, you know, they teach a different way. It's not traditional. I'm thinking they must want me to talk about politics and entertainment industry. I don't know. And I kept asking the, the teacher. <laughs> Are you sure you have the right John Stewart? She's like, yes, I'm on your website. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, I mean, I've got my cheap, my, my, uh, AWA superstars belt picture. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, um, folks, no joke uh, about five 15 in the morning, my phone rings. My wife's like, Oh, somebody died. I'm like, no, it's a radio station. And I knew this from running for Congress. You get a call at five in the morning. It's a radio station. I want to put you on. And it's a buddy of mine in New York. He's like, dude, are you watching TV? I'm like, it's five in the morning. He's like, John, you are on every station in the country. I'm like, for what? He goes, were you going to do a charity ball in Utah? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, a reporter from the Wall Street, from um, the Sacramento Times got the story and dug and realized that they did not intend to hire you. He wrote a story. He goes, you're on. I'm like, yeah, right. I'm on every channel. Dave, I turn on Fox and Friends. Yeah. They, they do a story about me until like 20 seconds later. MSNBC, <laughs> CNN, eight, Channel 7 in Chicago. I wait like a minute. And how about this crazy story? Chicago pro wrestler. I was the, I was the splash page on AOL for the day. I was the lead <laughs> story for two days because it was a notoriously slow you know, news, news cycle. And I, I, I would hang up the phone in my house. It would ring again. I would hang up. It would ring again. <laughs> it was, I did, must've done like 40 interviews. And uh, yeah. So uh, despite having an on and off 30 year wrestling career, I think my biggest uh, <laughs> light is being mistaken for John Stewart. And yeah. um, you know, the school called, we apologize and, you know, and, and, and I'm like, and then John Stewart was hosting the Emmys or the, yeah, the, the, the Oscars. Yeah. And uh, I'm, and everybody's like, oh, he's going to call you. They're going to do a little skit with you because the whole nation knows about it. And, you know, he didn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. Because um, he probably <laughs> thought he would 
get sued or I was getting sued. Or I was trying to, you know, con somebody or something. But uh, yeah, it had nothing to do with me. I kept asking him, do you have the right guy? Do you have the right guy? But I felt what it, what it was like to be a celebrity for two days. I mean, it was yeah. which sucks when you when you when you're not, when you're not making millions and you're doing all the interviews. Being a celebrity sucks. Yeah, I mean. That's, that's, the, that's the most wrestling, non-wrestling story I've ever heard. It's <laughs> Somebody from AOL called me to get a better picture, and they're like, you know, you and Hulk Hogan, and he mentioned somebody else, I think Macho Man, you're the only wrestlers that have ever been on AOL Splash Day. Splash <laughs> and he's like, I've never even heard of you. I'm like, yeah, I understand. I understand. So well, see, I, have that, I have that feather in my bizarre career. Yeah, maybe Bill Apter is right. I mean, you were the future of Nick Bakula was right. You were the future. <laughs> right. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. Hugh Hogan and Savage. I mean, he was That's he right. wasn't on. <laughs> Great company. That's right. Um, All right. Well, let's let's read, let's wind this down. John, thanks for coming on. Like I said, uh, sure. My listeners, when I when I put out there that we were having you on, uh, it it kind of went nuts. I mean, a lot of people were like, "Oh yeah, I remember John Stewart," and um and uh, you, like you said, you don't do a lot of podcasts, so this is this is a treat and it's an honor that you came on and talked. Um, I, you know, I know you've done a lot, you know, like you said, you've had a political career and aspirations after wrestling. Is, is there a way that, that fans can keep up with what you're doing to follow you online or do you kind of keep a low profile? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not on any social media. You know, I always give out my email. If somebody wants to drop me a line, I, I, you know, that's fine. It's my full name, John J O N Allen, A L A N. Um, my last name, Stuart S T E W A R T E R W A R T like the comedian, comedian, John Stewart at AOL.com. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you got any funny stories or, you know, I'm always looking to connect with other wrestlers and stuff that from the seventies and eighties that I don't have their phone numbers. If there's any of the, the boys out there that want to connect with me, I would love to, uh, hear from them and swap stories and, and, and reminisce. It's, um, it's, uh, it's always nice to hear from people that you, uh, that you worked with and gave your body to. And yeah, and um and uh and created uh you know theater with yeah and i i maybe you can come back on again later because I, I feel like we've only touched the oh, tip of the it. iceberg on the it. stories you could you could tell uh, i mean you've been a great guest lots of great stories so i appreciate it john uh thanks Thank for you. coming on ladies and gentlemen wrestling fans international association is back that's right, the premier fan club association of the 1970s and 1980s has been revived and is back in business. Join today. It's free at the WFIA.org. That's T-H-E-W-F-I-A.org. You can also join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash groups slash WFIA 1969. All right, we are back here on Wrestling Nostalgia Special thanks to John Stewart for coming on and being a guest. That was such a great interview. So much fun. And again, uh, Johnny will be back on in the future because there's a lot more to talk about there. A lot more stories to tell. And I can't wait to talk to him again. Uh, what a great guest. Uh, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a rating and review, wherever that is. Uh, and make sure you share when we put posts out there, the new episodes, whatever. That's the best way for us to grow is the word of mouth. Make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and threads. Just look up Rassle Nostalgia. Uh, you can also follow me personally on Twitter at the Dave Dynasty. And uh, probably the best way to support the show is to buy a shirt. You can go to prowrestlingtees.com slash the Dave Dynasty. And we have a multitude of shirts there. Buy one and support the show. 
we appreciate your time. We appreciate your support through the seven years of uh, this podcast and your continued support and uh, the endless amount of years moving forward. So we will be back in two weeks with another great episode for you here on Wrestling Nostalgia. Thank you once again for listening and all you do to support us. And until then, wherever you go and whatever you do, be good, be safe, and keep on growing.